Thank you. Please remain standing. Turn in your Bibles or in your bulletin, if you will, to Galatians chapter 2. I'm going to read verses 1 through 10 as our scripture reading this morning. I will preach actually from verses 6 through 10, but for context purposes, let's read together Galatians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. Let us hear the word of the Lord this morning. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went up because of a revelation and set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles, in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus, so that they might bring us into slavery, to them we did not yield in submission even for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. And from those who seemed to be influential, what they were, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Those, I say, who seemed influential, adding nothing to me. On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, for he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles. And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me, that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Only they asked to remember the poor, asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord endures forever. Thank you. You may be seated. Gracious Heavenly Father, this morning we praise your holy name. And we come humbly before you, asking as you teach us, your disciples, that we would begin by having your spirit prick our heart with conviction, that you would renew our thinking, that the way of the thoughts in our head would be yours and not ours. That, Lord, we would not look at your word without first looking at ourself and asking, where do we fit in to your master plan? How, O oh Lord, are we to respond to your word today? Teach us, mold us, and make us to who you would have us to become individually and corporately as a body of believers, as a church. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. The one question I have for you this morning is, what is your calling? No, I don't mean your job, your vocation, what you spend all your time doing during the week. I ask, what is your calling? What have you been called to do in the kingdom of God? Maybe you've thought about it. Maybe you have not. This morning, I want to challenge us. What is your calling? What are you called to do in the kingdom of God? Think about it. 
And let's see what God's Word has for us today. Now turn in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 2. Let us continue looking at the book of Galatians, this epistle written by Paul the Apostle to the church in Galatia, the churches in Galatia, dealing with this issue of the gospel and circumcision and being uncircumcised and what that looks like and legalism. We talked about that over the past few days, but as we look at verses 6 through 10 of Galatians chapter 2, I want us to talk about what Paul brings out here in his role in the kingdom of God, what he is actually doing. And I challenge you this morning to think through your own calling. Where do you fit in in the kingdom of God? See, I think there's a problem in our churches today, and that is this, that sometimes we think it's always someone else's responsibility to do the things that need to be done. So easy for us to look at someone else and say, well, you're better gifted at that, so why don't you do that? And oftentimes we're not looking at ourselves to say, what are my gifts and talents As a matter of fact, before we go into Galatians, go over to Exodus chapter 3 with me because I want to use as an example this great illustration, at least I think it's a great illustration, of one who is being called by God yet refuses to obey. Many of you may know this man is Moses. Moses in Exodus chapter 3 has this calling. He, remember, sees this burning bush. And in this bush comes a voice. Go to chapter 3 with me and look at verse 4. Sorry, back up to verse 3. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why this bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he had turned aside, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And what does he say? Here I am. And then God says, do not come near, take your sandals off, for this is a holy place. You remember the story, right? So there's this holy place and there's this holy encounter with God that Moses is going to have. And I just imagine how many of us desire in our own life to have this wonderful experience, this talking to God. Don't you wish God would often talk to you in a bush and just kind of tell you how things are? I know sometimes I do. I wish God would just say, hey, listen, rather than all the covert trying to figure it out, let me just tell you what to do. Well, here's Moses. God tells him what to do. Go down to verse 10. He says, come and I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. See, it's pretty simple. God says, I'm going to tell you exactly what to do. And then Moses responds. How does he respond? He responds with fear. Look at chapter 4, verse 1. Then Moses answered God. Now, again, think about God coming to us in a burning bush. That would already be scary enough. But then to have the boldness to speak back to God, Moses says in verse 1, But behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice. For they will say, the Lord did not appear to you. He starts making excuses, doesn't he? He starts saying, listen, 
I don't know how this is going to go, God. I, I'm here. Here I am. I'm ready to go. But can we make it a little different? Because I don't think they're going to believe me. And so, how does God respond? Okay, Moses, fine. Let me show you some signs, because evidently a burning bush isn't enough to get your attention. So let me go ahead and give you a couple more signs. And what are the signs? On the staff, he says, take the staff and throw it down, and it turns into a serpent. And then he, he plagues him with leprosy, and he puts it in his cloak, and he pulls his hand out, and all of a sudden it's, he's healed. And so as you read through verse four, or chapter 4 down through the first 10 verses, you're, you're like, all right, Moses, surely he's going to see something here. But go to verse 10. As if that wasn't enough, Moses says to the Lord, Oh, my Lord, I am not eloquent, either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. Moses makes another excuse to say, Lord, I get the fact that you want to bring your people out of Egypt, but are you really saying I'm the one to do that? And again, here are three very miraculous signs that Moses witness, witnesses and hears the voice of God. That's not where I want you to focus. Look at verse 11 and 12 of chapter 4. What is God's response? Then the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. What's God saying to Moses? Why are you even questioning me? Moses, if you weren't the guy, you wouldn't be standing in front of this bush. If you weren't the one that I was going to send, if you think I haven't thought through all these scenarios, then you don't have a whole lot of faith in me. Or that you think I'm someone else. And so you would think, as we hear these verses, that Moses would say, got it, you're right, God. I'm not even worthy of questioning you. But go to verse 13. It's so good to make a negative example out of one who we know ends up positive, and Moses is that one. In verse 13, but, even after hearing what he just heard, he, Moses, said, Oh, my Lord, please send someone else. Please send someone else. Someone who can speak. Someone who's more eloquent than I. Someone who understands. Someone with more fortitude. I don't know whatever Moses' reasoning here is. He's using these excuses. And how do we know this to end? Other than God kind of saying, okay, Moses, isn't this guy Aaron with you? Take him. The point is, Moses, you're not getting out of it. Moses, you're still called to lead my people out of Egypt. And no matter what you think the excuses are for you not to do that, 
I have chosen you. And this is a very important thing for us to understand. That we as God's people are called. God uses us, not in this general calling. Yes, I'm going I'm to use this word calling and I want us to define it here first and foremost this morning. We are all called to be Christians. That's why we're here. We are here to worship God, to be obedient to God, because we are called out of the world into the church, into his kingdom. We are called to be Christians. But it doesn't stop there. God doesn't call you to be a Christian so you can come and sit on the pew. God doesn't call you to be a Christian so you can come and just hang out with good people who think they're good. Right? As my brother Jim reminded me, there's none good. Only the Father is good. Jesus says, don't call me good. Only the Father is good. Point here is, what does it mean to be called into this family, called into the church, called into the kingdom? Are you called in so that you could just sit around and wait for Christ to return? Absolutely not. Moses found that out. God even conceded and let Aaron go with him, right? You know how the story unfolds. Go back to Galatians chapter 2. Now with that in, in mind and this idea of calling, let's look at what Paul is talking about in verses 6 through 10, still in the context of the gospel, in the circumcised and the uncircumcised. And we'll get back to that, but, but more specifically, calling. Paul is basically defending his calling to take the gospel of Jesus Christ to the uncircumcised. <gasps> Say it isn't so. Not those people. Not them. Yes. To the uncircumcised. I imagine this was an upside down, uh, a topsy-turvy uh, transition for the Jew. And they would see this as, well, who is this cat running around, going out there, sharing our gospel with the uncircumcised? And Paul is, in his defense, bringing out the fact that they're missing the big picture. But he is called to do something different in the kingdom of God. And he outlines that for us this morning. Verse 1, here are the things, the principles of faith that I want you to see that, that Paul is laying out for us in his defense. First and foremost in verse 6, God providentially ordains each of our callings. God providentially ordains each of our callings. Another way to put that is God tells us what we are going to do. If God is sovereign and in control and he, he providentially governs all things of man and we know that he does that in his church, then he's got a plan for you, a calling for you. Most of the time when we think of calling, we think of it in the sense of the pastor's call. The pastor is called to be the pastor. We'll talk about that here in, in just a few moments. But I think we downplay the calling that we have in the kingdom of God. When we only look at someone else's calling, so this morning I would ask you that you look at your calling. And first start with God's providential calling in your life. Verse 6. And from those who seem to be influential... What they were makes no difference to me. 
God shows no partiality. What's Paul saying here? What's, Paul is alluding to this Deuteronomy 10.17. If you don't know it, go turn in your Bibles to Deuteronomy 10.17. Write it down. Be familiar with it. It says this, For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God who is not partial and takes no bribe. I don't know how in the Jewish mind you could grow up knowing Deuteronomy 10.17 and then be surprised that he includes the Gentiles later on. Because he even says, there's a God who shows not partiality. In other words, he doesn't say based off your status or your upbringing or who you are. Listen, first and foremost, you guys do realize I don't come from a family of preachers, right? I mean, self-proclaimed preachers. We preach, I mean, you show up at our dinner table at my family's you know, Thanksgiving or something. You're going to hear preaching. Uh, it's not going to be biblical all the time, uh, but that's not what I mean. What I mean is I am called out of something to something else. I don't come from a lineage of preachers. I do come from a small lineage of Christians. And I thank God for using my family in that way. But what's happening here is Paul is saying, listen, I have been ordained, I have been providentially called into this one position. And that one position is to share the gospel with the uncircumcised, with the Gentiles. In a sense, he's saying, I'm not worried about the Jews. Peter has that demographic taken care of. It's kind of like that core group, that church over there, Peter and John are taking care of it. God has called me to something different. And when you bring in this Deuteronomy 10, 17 passage, it tells us something a little deeper. That God is a God of integrity. That when God claims something, all the way back in Deuteronomy, he doesn't contradict himself in practice. He's very consistent, isn't he? I am a God who is not partial or takes no bribe. Well, how do you know that? We see it here in Paul's sharing of the gospel to those filthy Gentiles, the unclean. So God is a God of integrity. And this is important for us to understand because if God is who he says he is and we believe that, then we know that he's involved in our life, that he calls us to certain things. Nothing he calls us to is wrong. i say that again. Nothing he calls us to is wrong. It would be wrong for us to say, Lord, you've really messed this up. You wanted me to do this, and somehow you've messed it up. The kingdom of God is ruled by a God who does not show partiality. It's not about social boundaries. It's not about whether or not you come from a lineage it's not about whether or not you are one who has the certain qualifications because your parents had the qualifications. No, it's about your calling. And what's amazing about the kingdom of God is some of us don't even know what we're called to until we're called. And as your pastor, I can tell you, like Moses, I'm going to fight it. Let's send someone else. I'm not a good preacher. 
I speak Southernese. They're not going to understand me. And God says, no, no, no. You're called because I said so. If we believe that God is sovereign, we believe that God is a God of integrity, we believe that God doesn't mess anything up, then what God ordains for us is what he has called us to do. And if we refuse to obey that, we refuse to to look into that and to even ask ourselves, God, what are you calling me to do? Then we are disobedient. And we are refuting God as Moses was refuting God. We should not ever say that, well, Lord, I can't do that because I don't come from a lineage of preachers or teachers. Or I'm young in the faith. I don't know a whole lot about Christianity, so let me just sit back and enjoy the ride for a while and see what God does. No. As a matter of fact, it's important for us to understand that God uses us and calls us, and He does this in His own sovereignty, providentially ordaining all things so that whatever's going on, you may not know, He's already worked out. And if we believe that God is in control, then why do we not allow him to be? Why do we not live that way? This is why if you flip over to Galatians chapter 3, verse 28, toward the end there, we'll get to this later on. Galatians 3, 28, Paul even adds this part later. He says, There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, For you are all one in Christ Jesus. You see, here's the other thing we do. Some of us like to judge other people in their calling. Some of us like to look around and go, you know what? You're not as good as you could be over there. I don't know what you think God has called you to do, but let me tell you, I don't think it's right. As if somehow you know better than God, you see? You have now become the master trying to move others in their calling. We need to be very careful And the first thing I would present to you is that, yes, you are called to be a Christian in the kingdom of God, but what else are you called to do in God's kingdom? What are you called to be? What ministry might you be called to serve in? We've already preached on this and talked about this, and Paul's going to talk about it a little bit more, that he is being used by God to reach the Gentiles. Stop and think about that for a minute. What is God using you for in his kingdom? Has he called you to something? You know, and, uh, and, and as a minister, as a pastor, we, we look at this in this way. That there is an outward call and an inward call. I originally have an inward call to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then the outward call is that solidifying you calling me to be your pastor. And to preach the gospel. And when those two are lined up, then in our limited mindset, it worked out. And so ministers are called, and that's how we view the calling. There's an inward call and an outward call. I would argue that it's no different For us, as servants in the kingdom, to say, what is my calling? Some of you may be called 
uh, to preach. Some of you may be called to be missionaries. Some of you may be called uh, for service work. I don't know. But do you? That's the question. Don't ever use your inability or your social status or lack of social status as an excuse not to serve. Because God shows no partiality. Think about it. Where did Paul come from? He was persecuting the church. Now, if any of us in this room, knowing what we knew about Saul persecuting the church, had said, we need somebody to reach the Gentiles, we need a church planner to go out and plant in Galatia and Asia and so on and so forth, right? Presbyterians trying to figure this out. We're not going to go get Saul to be our church planner, are we? That's not going to be your first choice. But we're not God. And God calls whom he calls. That's number one. Number two, God uses each of us for specific roles. God uses us for certain things in his kingdom. Verses 7 through 8. Paul is testifying here that, hey, listen, I am not called to the circumcised. I am called to the uncircumcised. Read it with me. He says, on the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised. All right, there's his calling. I am called to those Gentiles, he says, the uncircumcised. Just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised. You see there? Let me pause there for a second, because here's where I think we mess this up. It's often where we say, well, let me tell you why, where I'm called. And how everybody should recognize that. And we stop short of recognizing where others may be called. What Paul does well here is he says, listen, I'm called over here. But Peter equally is called over here. And there's nothing wrong with that. We need to be okay that there are certain people in our, even our church that are called to certain things that we're not called to. We need to be open to the fact that even other churches, other denominations are called to serve communities in the world in different ways. And not look down on them for that or say that it's weird or quirky necessarily. If God is using that, then who are we to even question Sorry, I'm off my notes. God is using each of us for these specific roles. Paul used, and we remember the story, right? You think, you think God could have used Peter to do this? Well, he, he could have. But remember what he told Paul in, in, in his conversion? Listen, the stage is, the stage is really already set. Paul says, well, but they know my name. They know what I've done. He says, don't worry about it. They don't care. Don't worry. You're still going to go. And he says, you're going to go to the Gentile. And it already worked out the field to be harvest. God had already worked it all out. You see, when we're called to something, it doesn't mean you have to jump in there and figure it out. What it means is you have to trust God's calling. You have to trust that God is calling you to something that he has already worked and is using and that he will use you in that role. And they can be very specific roles. We don't all have the same calling. Thank God or we'd all be preaching to ourselves, right? 
We'd all be up here pastoring the church, preaching to each other. Some are called to preach and teach even in the session, in the elders. There are elders who are called to rule and to make decisions and to lead the church. And then there are those with double honor that are called to preach and to teach. Then there are deacons. Then there are Sunday school teachers. There are nursery workers. There are choir members. There are pianists. There are so on and so forth. Keep going in your own mind. There are those of us called very specific ways. And we need not shun others for their calling. Who are we to question another man's calling? The point is, go to verse 8 here. He even adds in uh, these parentheses, verse 8, for he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through me from mine to the Gentiles. He recognizes very biblical, theological, well thought out um, understanding of God's sovereignty. And he says, listen, God is working through us. Peter over here and me over here. And it's not one or the other. See, here's where churches and, 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 and members of the church get it wrong a lot of times. We think that this is ministry. And if we don't do this, then there's nothing, God is not going to honor that. And this is the only way. Or we may say, no, this is the way. We deny the fact that God could very well use both ways. In the life of a single church, the life of churches in the community, God was working through Peter and Paul. And in the practical ways that he was using them, he entrusted them with the gospel. Look at this. Peter and Paul had the same gospel. That's the point, right? They were apostles. They both had the same apostleship, working together in God's kingdom for his glory. Now you know why Paul spends so much time on unity of the body, recognizing the differences, but understanding God using us in our differences to his glory. God uses each of us in our calling in these specific roles. And lastly, God calls us to work together. Verses 9 through 10, Paul really emphasizes this unity piece, doesn't he? He says, and when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me, that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. They agreed. Both of them were preaching the gospel. Both of them were called by God. Both of them were there entrusted with the gospel. And they were to go out into the world to share the gospel in different contexts. And you know what? That was okay. There wasn't a Peter's way or Paul's way. There wasn't a right way or a wrong way. If you know anything about the ministry of both of these men, we know that it was different. Paul wrote a bunch of epistles. Peter didn't have to write a whole lot. But they both preached the gospel in their various contexts. Working together for God's kingdom. See, what happens is we get this myopic small tunnel vision picture idea of the church, right? Like, this is it. This is how we do things. We need to understand God's kingdom is bigger than that. That God uses 
all of his children to his glory in various ways. These men had some things in common, didn't they? They were gospel-centered. Both Peter and Paul were centered on the gospel. Paul even gives them credit and says, listen, these guys were pillars of God's kingdom. At least from a perception level, from a very narrow level, they're pillars of God's kingdom. And we know that Peter was the rock on which the church was to be built. And Paul didn't deny that. Paul actually embraces that. But here's the thing that allowed them to work together. Because if you stop there, and I've seen this in the church, usually it's when we start putting titles or names to things where we start seeing the differences. Paul very easily could have said, well, those guys are pillars. What do they know? Right? He could have become prideful and arrogant. Well, I met Jesus on the road to Damascus. Where were they? They didn't see Jesus after he was glorified, after he was raised from the dead. No, I did. But Paul doesn't do that. Why? Because he goes to this part about grace. This is the, this is the unifying piece. Paul not only speaks of grace, but he understands grace and he practices that grace. He says, And when James, Cephas, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me. Another way of saying this, the same grace that they had received by walking with Jesus Christ, I receive later. The same salvation that they have received, I have received. And they sensed that. They sensed that Paul wasn't in it for his own glory. That Paul wasn't out causing trouble. Paul was genuinely kingdom-minded, wanting to share the gospel with the Gentiles so that God would be glorified. And when they understood that, grace abounds. The grace that was given to each apostle Grace from God and how God's gracious love was given to them in saving them. The work of Christ accomplished for them. And when they understood that, receiving that grace is what Paul is talking about here. He's also talking about the grace that was extended to him by these brothers and sisters, brothers in Christ. And for us, it would be the grace that we extend to our brothers and sisters in their calling, working together. They may not do it our way. We may not like how they do it. We may have a better way of doing it. But that's their calling. What is ours? What is yours? How might you show grace to one another so that we may work together to God's glory. Another way of putting that is worry about your own calling and be gracious to others in theirs. Love them. Encourage them. Pray for them. Illustration I have for this, I remember going out to Hawthorne, Nevada 
It's not much in Hawthorne, but some of you are familiar with it. There's a range out there. Marines go out there and train. It's out in the middle of the desert. It's not pretty, but it, whatever. We're out there, and we get there late, and we're unloading a, a, a truck, and it's, it's, we're loading it into the, this wooden room we're going to call the kitchen. And the Marines that were in charge of putting it in there were basically just taking boxes and throw them in, throwing them in there, step one. And then once they got in, in there, their plan was to go in and then divide them up into breakfast, lunch, and dinner, right? MRE is in a box. It really doesn't matter. But anyway, that's what they were going to do. And so as I'm sitting here watching this debacle, I thought to myself, well, this is, why wouldn't you, because of the space, and why wouldn't you just take it off and separate it and then put it in there? That would make more sense, right? No, no. First Sergeant says, no, 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 leave them be. Just let them do it. First Sergeant, doesn't make sense. They're going to double work. Just leave them be. Okay. Keep them busy, I guess, was the moral of the story. The point is, my way is not always the way. Your way is not always the way. Some people may have to work harder to figure it out. But if that's their calling, if that's what God has ordained that, that, that happens in their life, then so be it. If we would focus on ourselves and our calling, what might the church look like? How might God be glorified? God is sovereign. God is in control. We, we practice this in our form of government. We believe that different people are called to different things. We believe that different churches are called to different ministries within their community, don't we? We have 33 churches in our presbytery alone, Second Presbytery from Greenville, Georgia, 33. Do you think they all look like this? Do you think they all do the same things? If they do, then we might be missing the picture. There are some things that are similar. But the ministries can be different because God calls us to different things. Calling Peter, Paul, calling us. So we need to be very careful and how we view others, but more importantly, how we view ourselves. You know, let me go ahead and, since Jerry's here, this is great. Let me go ahead and say this. We also believe that there are different denominations with different focal theological points that don't necessarily disagree, but they don't necessarily agree. And how bad would it be for us to think that we are somehow better in our calling as Presbyterians than the Baptists or the Methodists. Shame on us if that's how we believe and how we think. The reality is God uses each of these churches, each of these communities to, to go out in, in his world, in his kingdom, to share the gospel in different contexts. And so not only do we need to look at ourselves and say, what is our calling? But as a church, we need to look and say, what is our calling in our community? And are we obedient to this calling? What is it that you are called to in the kingdom of God? This is more than serving in the local church. This is more than finding your vocation. Don't confuse, I'm the only one that can do this, your vocation with your calling, okay? And yes, sometimes I'm very confused by it. It may be yours, but it may not be. We're not talking about your vocation. 
talking about your calling. It may include your vocation, but your calling is primary in all things. Ask yourself, am I glorifying God? What has he called me to do so that he may be glorified by using me? How do you fit in to the kingdom of God? Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, how awesome it is, O Lord, that you are sovereign, that you are in control of all things, that you ordain many, many ministries in your kingdom. You call us to be unified in grace. And Lord, we thank you that we have experienced your grace. We ask that you would help us to express that grace to those around us. Lord, help us in our response to you. If we are guilty, O Lord, convict us of our sin. If we are unsure, give us surety. If we, O Lord, need to be moved, move us, that we may be obedient to our calling both as individuals and as a body of believers. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, brothers and sisters, let us receive the benediction and be dismissed with the Lord's blessing this morning. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance to you and give you peace now and forever. Amen.